I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, well, we have a lot to cover today. Um, and we're, we're going to do something I don't love to do. Which we're going to play a lot of um, audio clips. I, I generally like to talk at least half the show. Um, but today we have a, a number of clips that I want to share and talk about. So we're probably going to get started with the audio uh, sooner than later. Just wanted to um, been asked to to just mention um, uh, you know my thoughts on Christy Nome and the affair with Corey Lewandowski, uh, and then also Lauren Bobart groping and fondling in and vaping and flipping the f bomb off in a in a uh, Beetlejuice show. None of this is good for MAGA. Um, these are two MAGA stars, and uh, it's unfortunate that this happened. Uh, but, you know, I I don't want to make any excuses for these things. I think that, uh, you know, Christy Noem, I've always sort of had a problem with her position on trans and NCAA sports, and she really didn't perform on that issue nearly as well as DeSantis did in Florida. And she made a lot of excuses, and I think that uh, in a lot of ways, South Dakota is an interesting state because of the way they, um, uh, they're they a safe haven for hiding your money. Uh, and I think they're a money laundering state in some ways. You know, like when people put their money offshore and it's in a, like a undisclosed account, South Dakota is one of those states that has some rules and le- legislation that uh, makes that a more friendly state for that kind of a- activity. Um, that aside, um, having an affair like that, <clears throat> you know, just pull it together. For You're a governor for four years, okay? You have a four-year term. Just pull it together, you know? Just be on your best behavior while you're a public servant. 
And uh, for those who can't do that, uh, they, it's not a crime to have an affair, but you ought to resign. And at this point, I think she's a disgrace, and I think she should resign. Lauren Bobar needs to grow up, and the videos that I've seen of her and her, I don't know, the, the man that's with her, I guess it's her husband, you know, needs to present themselves better. But she uh, also, after being thrown out of the theater, um, you know, is flipping people off and acting a fool. And it's just, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to believe that we have these Congress people. You know, and it's not just those two, but there was the the dude from North Carolina, uh, Crawford or whatever his name was, that got thrown out of office for unethical. Then you got Eric Swalwell with Fang Fang. And, And you have all this different stuff. It's like, it used to be that, you know, if you were a, a congressman or a senator, you would look up to these people. They would be high standard. I mean, it's a senator that signs off on West Point and Navy Academy, Navy, you know, Academy um, uh, entry, you know. You need a, a signature from a senator. That's legit to get to be a West Point uh Student, things like that, but no longer. I mean, you know, I look at these politicians. I don't know if it's that I'm getting older and they're younger, or it used to be that they were older and I was younger. I don't know if it's that perspective or what, but I'm no longer looking at my government as, you know, the uh, the blue chip, you know, the uh, the gold standard. It's it's no longer looking like that. It's it's become really obvious that the people that were electing either were decent people and lost their way. Um, but you know, you take you take a look at the um, Su- Susanna Gibson, right? Susanna Gibson is this Democrat Virginia candidate, very pretty. Probably I haven't seen a picture of her husband, but you know, together they're they're selling credits for there's they're like swingers or something, and so she was busted, and the complaint is, how did that those videos get out? And she was basically doing things online for money, and now she wants to be representing the people. And in some ways, well, I mean, they're all terrible, right? They're all like, where where are some normal people that literally care about, that are civic-minded and literally care about serving people instead of serving themselves? You know, they do exist, but they're not shiny objects typically, and they don't win elections. And I think we as voters need to reevaluate how we elect people. And we also ought to pressure uh, the money aspect of things because 
too often it's the person with a lot of money, whether they're getting that money through uh, those videos that they're selling online for sex acts, like Susanna Gibson, the Democrat Virginia candidate, or what have you. But there's too much corporate money, and those corporations spend a lot of money on advertising. And of course, we know that they're all corporations that are owned by BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street. And we know that they're all in bed with World Economic Forum. And it's this vicious, ugly cycle where we are basically being controlled by an unelected government. It's, it's getting really, really bad out there. And they're pushing all kinds of agendas, whether it's the WHO that wants to take over your sovereignty or these climate initiatives that are just absolutely, they've been debunked and yet they still keep rolling on. The mask was debunked and yet mask mandates were still enforced. Vaccines were debunked as not effective and yet still they were mandated. You know, I mean, there doesn't seem to be two, two, two voices in our world. And so we really got to get ahead of this and we got to get into a better footing. But it starts with, I guess, the media. And it starts with, you know, integral, integrity, politicians with integrity. So... President Trump did a lot of interviews, and he did one with Megyn Kelly. He did one with uh, Meet the Press. And we're going to be playing a fast track of the highlights of this Meet the Press clip. And we're also going to play a couple of clips from some other uh, audio that we want to talk about. Candace Owens is going to be uh, doing a, a clip uh, we have an audio from her talking about Ukraine. We have another audio about the, where pa, um, big, uh, Patrick Bet David uh, covers the issue of equity. Uh, we have a Kamala Harris equity, so or wokeness, and we're going to talk about all these things, and we're going to get to it in short order here. So. That's what I have to say about that. Here, Jonathan Hurley says this. Jonathan Turley says, The Smith motion uh, to gag President Trump would gag a candidate on a major issue in the campaign. Notably, one of the potential witnesses is one of Trump's opponents, Mike Pence. Other potential witnesses are political figures engaged in commentary on the underlying allegations. So, gagging Donald Trump, why Smith's narrowly tailored uh, narrowly tailored motion is neither narrow nor wise. So, Jonathan Turley, a legal scholar, gets into a whole host of things. Uh, how President Trump really ought to be considered the front runner and a political adversary to the Democrat Party that's in power and that they really need to reevaluate what it is they're doing with all of these 
what everybody would deem to be bogus indictments. And we need to get a handle on that. So you could always learn a lot of little quick things about a meme from a meme. And Peter Daszak comes to mind. Comes to mind. He's the Echo Echo Health Alliance um, scam. He was part of that scam with that Dr. Fauci, where everybody got rich off of. Uh, you know, basically, it's kind of silly, but you're the one paying for the research. I mean, think about that. You're paying for Pfizer's research studies, and they're the ones profiting. You pay, and they profit. How is that? We have a really good clip from Russell Brand that we're going to get into here in a minute. And Russell Brand is being under attack because I guess he was a sex addict or something like that back in his, you know, a while ago or whenever. And now he has this podcast and he's kind of seen the light. He he used to be a pretty radical liberal. And now he's sort of like a uh, conservative. You know, he's anti-vax. He's anti, you know, the COVID response. And he's realizing that the the party he supported was the is the party that's violation violating his civil liberties. So there's this meme, and it says, "Hi, I'm Peter Daszak. I'm the president of the Echo Alliance, which founded gain of function research in China that likely created COVID nineteen." And then the next flip, he says, "Hi, I'm Peter Daszak." I am the World Health Organization lead investigator that concluded COVID-19 didn't come from a Chinese lab. You see the conflict of interest there? Yeah, it's pretty easy to see. So the GOP senators, Tom Cotton and Lindsey Graham, send a letter to Joe Biden begging him for more missiles. They want more money spent. Susan Collins Roger Wilker, Lindsey Graham, Tom Cotton sent the letter. You need more missiles, more now than ever. And you need them sooner than later. And I said, hmm, I wonder how much money the military industrial complex paid Tom Cotton and Lindsey Graham for pressuring Joe Biden for more missiles to Ukraine. It's absolutely absurd. All right, here's that clip from Russell Brand. Let's take a listen. Well, yes. Out of respect for you and your show, <laughs> he's I on Bill Maher. Facts. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> if you like, oh, they're oh, actually. You just, you just get the fuck <laughs> out of here. This thought, is not the place. I thought you liked facts. No, no, I, we do. No, we like facts. I love facts. I wouldn't have mentioned it. I'm English, and you know that politeness is our fundamental religion. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they do pertain to this issue. So may I say something? Please, please, if they please inconvenience you, you I I, I'll stop saying them. The pandemic created at least 40 new far, big pharma billionaires. Pharmaceutical corporations like Moderna and Pfizer made $1,000 of profit every second from the COVID-19 <laughs> vaccine. More than wow. two-thirds of Congress received...
receive campaign funding from pharmaceutical companies in the 2020 election. Pfizer chairman Albert Baller told Time magazine in July 2020 that his company was developing a COVID vaccine for the good of humanity, not for money. And of course, Pfizer made $100 billion okay. in profit right. in 2022. Right. And may I just mention, finally, and these are, this is also a fact, that you, the American public, funded the development of that. The German fund, public funded the BioNTech vaccine. When it came to the profits, they took the profits. When it came to the funding, you paid for the funding. All I'm querying is this. Yes. Is if you have right. an economic system in which pharmaceutical companies benefit hugely from medical emergencies, where a military-industrial okay. complex benefits from war, where energy companies benefit from energy crises, you are going to These generate right. states of perpetual crisis yes. where the interests of ordinary and, and people... That's it. That's exactly what's going on, folks. Boom, in a nutshell. That was a minute and a half of wisdom right there. Think about that. You know, we've been seeing that and hearing that now. It's become part of our daily thing, right? Our daily thing is, is you know, if, if the government's going to benefit from a crisis, then they're going to create more crisis. If they're going to benefit from emergency powers, like the governor of New Mexico who wanted to confiscate all your guns in the name of climate emergency or, or the emergency that she was declaring, I guess it was uh, border security, they created themselves by opening the border and then saying, well, crime is so bad that you can't have a gun. And of course, the only person that's going to abide by that emergency rule is going to be a law-abiding citizen. The criminals are never going to give up their guns because they're criminals and they're going to rob defenseless people. It's so simple, yet we have these politicians that just don't care. You, get, you take a person like Kamala Harris in equity and you'll, you'll learn a lot about what DEI is all about. And if it's equity and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, then why, uh, just like just like Jesse Smollett and his noose around the neck at two in the morning in the freezing cold in Chicago by two Nigerian black men wearing MAGA hats to perpetuate this concept that MAGA was racist and they want to lynch black people all to gain footing with the black vote. I don't know a black person personally that would ever fall for such a ruse or a hoax, but apparently them, the, the, a lot of the, a lot of them in Fulton County and, and Detroit and Philadelphia are falling for it. They believe anything that they're told by the left wing media. But when you think about how over-the-top and stereotypical Jesse Smollett made his hoax, you start to realize that what's going on on TikTok, you start to realize that what's going on with this trans storytelling and this LGBTQ BS, you start to realize that this is what it's all about, equity. So they're propping up all of this freak show stuff in our society to really create this sort of like this artificial need 
from an artificial, like these are paid actors. Dylan Mulvaney went to school for acting. Literally. I mean, look it up. The theater company. And these are paid actors. Jesse Smollett was a paid actor. And who is he working for? Kamala Harris. He was friends with Kamala Harris. When Kamala Harris announced her bid to be a president, it was Jesse Smollett. Folks, listen. It was Jesse Smollett that was there with um, Obama's uh, Tina, I forget the name, but she ran the organization called Time's Up which was supposed to protect women in Hollywood from sexual harassment. And they did nothing but tip off the execs to basically say, here's a whistleblower, blacklister. I mean, they literally were the opposite of what they said that they were going to do, which is a typical Democrat playbook. You get the whistleblowers out of the woodwork. They think that they're talking to the police or they're talking to the good people, good guys, the white hats, but they're actually talking to the black hats. So, I mean, this stuff is going on all the time, but think about Jesse Smollett pushing this DEI hoax, this radical racist MAGA thing. And at the same time, it was Cory Booker and Senator Kamala Harris that were pushing an anti-lynching bill in the Senate. They were. I promise you this. And I'm thinking to myself, I thought lynching was illegal. <laughs> I mean, last I checked, lynching is illegal, right? So why do you need an anti-lynching bill to use these headlines to insinuate that MAGA supporters are racist? And they've been pushing that concept Where if you ask anybody, any libertard on the street, is Trump a racist? Oh, yeah, he's a racist. There's not a racist bone in his body. I mean, it's just insane that we're even talking about it, right? But when you put the two together, Kamala Harris and her pounding away at equity, here she is over the weekend in Hampton University. Or, yeah, Hampton University. All black school. Fight for our freedom, she says, is, is what what's, says it behind it. It's on the wall behind her. And here she, here she is talking about equity. This is flat out communism, folks. Supposed so-called extreme leaders are suggesting it's a bad thing She's talking about to Trump. care about and pay attention to inequities. To say DEI is a bad thing, when in fact, if we want fair outcomes, we must understand what are disparities and then accommodate and adjust for those disparities if we want equal outcomes. So environmental justice raises those points, right? Equitable outcomes. Are, is everyone coming out the same way? Well, if they don't, look, if you don't start on the same base, everybody can have an equal amount. You're still not going to end up on the same base, right? 
If we want equal outcomes, we need to take into account not everybody starts out on the same base, and we have to make adjustments. Yeah, okay. So if I go head-to-head with Kamala, then she's got to give me, what, half of her money? Right? And then and then we can run a race? She's not going to be agreeing to that. Just like these liberals always say, you know, uh, bring us your, your poor, your whatever, right? Bring them through the open border. And then, you know, you see these YouTube interviews on the street and say, I have three illegals right here. They want to live in your house. We don't have any space in our house. No, we don't know them. Then why do you want them in our house? It's sort of like Eric Adams in New York. We don't want them here. It's like those people in Martha's Vineyard that are also liberal. We don't want them here, but we we want them in Texas because we want to turn Texas blue. It's insane. The double standards are, are so insane. Well, Trump sat down with Meet the Press over the weekend, and we're going to go ahead and play this highly edited. It's like a very fast track. Um, boom, boom, boom. It cuts right through it. So let's take a listen. When you talk about retribution, are you talking about directing your attorney general to try to go after your political enemies? When I talk about retribution, I'm talking about fairness. We have to treat people fairly. These people on January 6th, they went, some of them never even went into the building and they're being given sentences of, you know, many years. Are you going to pardon those people who've been convicted, well, Mr. President? And I certainly might if I think it's appropriate. Uh, no, it's a very, very sad thing. And it's, they're dividing the country so badly and it's very dangerous. Well, Mr. President, we're going to delve into that a little bit later on. But I want to stay on this idea of what you mean by retribution. Are you looking to appoint an attorney general who will prosecute the people you tell them to prosecute? I'm looking to appoint an attorney general who's going to be tough on crime and fair. Very simple. Speaker McCarthy announced that he was launching an impeachment inquiry this week into President Biden. Do you see this as a part of the retribution that you see? No, not at all. I think, look, you look at the terrible things that have been happening with respect to Biden. Uh, Look at everything. Jamie Comer. Jim Jordan, who are fantastic people and very legitimate people. I watched Jamie Comer just a little while ago talking about a lot of different facets of what's going on. And he was the one that said, I guess there were there are 12 things where it looks like it's stone cold guilty. And the gun charge is only one of the 12. He said this is the only one that doesn't implicate Joe Biden. So, but. My question for you, did you talk to Speaker McCarthy about this House impeachment no, inquiry? No, did I don't you talk to him. tell him that he should open a House No, no, I don't do that. I don't think he'd do that. I mean, he wouldn't do it based on me, no. Did you Not talk a- to your Republican allies on Capitol Hill and say you should support this? No, I don't have to talk. They're more proactive than I am. They think it's terrible. Do you think Republican hardliners should abandon their threat to shut down the government over their spending priorities now that there is this impeachment? No, I think if they don't get a fair deal, we have to save our country. We have $35 trillion in debt. We have to save our country. So you would shut down the government? You'd support that? I'd shut down the government if they can't make an appropriate deal, absolutely. You are facing four indictments, 91 felony charges. If you would say it properly, I'm facing four Biden indictments. He told the Justice Department to indict him, or Merrick Garland said, let's indict him. Let me ask you this, Mr. President. They indicted their political opponent. I just want to hear from you on this. I want to know what's in your head. When you go to bed at night, 
Do you worry about going to jail? No, I don't really. I don't even think about it. I'm built a little differently, I guess, because I have had people come up to me and say, how do you do it, sir? How do you do it? Uh, I don't even think about it. Uh, these are corrupt people that I'm dealing with. They're destroying our country. I don't even think about it. All I think about is making the country great, making America great. Look, these are political, these are banana republic indictments. These are third world indictments. The president of the United States sees how we're doing. We have a movement, the likes of which has never happened in this country before. And you see it with the polls. I mean, I'm up on these people by 60 points and 59 points. I don't mean at, I'm at 59. I'm leading them by 59. You almost say, like, why are they campaigning? Asa Hutchinson, he's at zero. Christie's at two. Other ones are at one. Uh, DeSanctimonious is at nine. I just see a poll come. I mean, I'm leading him by 60 points. Mr. President. And you say, why are they doing it? But here's what they did. They saw this happening. And he went to the Attorney General of the United States and he told him, indict Trump. There's just no evidence of that, oh, Mr. Why? President. Because you mean he's but let's, let's stay Look on at track. all the lies want, he's Mr. told. Mr. President, I want to talk Kristen, about wait you. a minute. Wait, wait. Could I say one thing? Look at all the lies he's told over the last couple of weeks. He said he was at the World Trade Center and he wasn't. He said he flew airplanes, right? He didn't. He said he drove trucks. And he didn't. Everything he says is like a lie. It's terrible. Mr. President, I'm even gonna, his handicap in golf, he said stay, he's a six. He's not a six. I want to stay focused on you okay. for the purposes of this interview, okay? Because it's important that we hear from you about all of this. Tell well, me I'd what, like you to, but you keep me, interrupting me. Tell me, Mr. President, tell me what you see. Well, by the way, one, one thing I'm going to interject here. Uh, Chris, Kristen Walker, uh, Welker said there's n just no evidence Biden told the DOJ to indict Trump. Yes, he did uh, through the New York Times. So there's no he, she said there's no evidence that Biden told the DOJ to indict Trump. It says here uh, Garland faces growing pressure as January 6th investigation widens. So um, this was the New York Times. It says Mr. Biden confided to his inner circle that he believed Former President Donald J. Trump was a threat to democracy and should be prosecuted. Boom. So that is according to the New York Times. Just uh, FYI there. So she said, you know, she, she was lying. See, when you look at your mugshot. I see somebody that loves this country in me, that loves this country I see tremendous unfairness. I think very few people would have able, been able to handle what I handled. By the way, do you think your former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is still loyal to you? He just pleaded not guilty in the Georgia Well, I case. hope he's loyal to me. I mean, do you I worry about him flipping? Wrong. Do you worry I didn't about do anything him? wrong. Okay. I want to ask you about the case related to Mar-a-Lago. A new charge suggests you asked a staffer to delete security camera footage so it wouldn't get into the hands of investigators. Did it's you do false. that? It's false. false. But let me tell you what Would you else. testify let to that under oath? I'm going to I'll testify. You testify to that under oath? Yeah. It's a okay. fake charge by this deranged lunatic uh, prosecutor who lost in the Supreme Court nine to nothing and he tried to destroy lots of lives. Uh, he's a lunatic. So it's a fake charge. But more importantly, the tapes weren't deleted. In other words, there was nothing done to him. And they were my tapes. I could have fought them. I, I didn't even have to give them the tapes, I don't think. I think I would have won in court. When they asked for the tapes, I said, sure, they're my tapes. I could have fought them. I didn't even have to give them. Just so you understand, though, 
We didn't delete anything. Nothing was deleted. So that's false. The people who testified. Number one, the statement is false. Much more importantly, when the tapes came and everybody says this, they weren't deleted. We gave them 100 percent. Okay. And and, and just so you know, I offered them. I said, if you want to look at tapes, you can look at them. Let's move on to January 6th and the allegations that you tried to subvert the election. And again, I just want to give you a chance to talk about this because voters want to hear about this. The most senior lawyers in your own administration and on your campaign told you that after you'd lost more than 60 legal challenges, that it was over. Why did you ignore them and decide to listen to a new outside group? Because I didn't respect them. Uh, You'd hired them. Sure, but that doesn't mean, you know, you hire them, you never met these people, you get a recommendation, they turn out to be rhinos or they turn out to be not so good. In many cases, I didn't respect them, but I did respect others. I respected many others that, that said the election was rigged. You called some of your outside lawyers. You said they had crazy theories. Why were you listening to them? Were you listening to them because they were telling you what you wanted to hear? You know who I listened to myself? I saw what happened. I watched that election and I thought the election was over at 10 o'clock in the evening. You were listening to your instincts. Uh, My instincts are a big part of it. That's been the thing that's gotten me to where I am, my instincts. But I also listened to people. There are many lawyers. I could give you many books. Uh, There are books that are written on how the election was rigged. There are numerous books that were written on how the election was rigged. Just to be clear, were you listening to your lawyer's advice or were you listening to your own instincts? I was listening to different people. And when I added it all up, the election was rigged. There are books that are written. Were you calling the shots, though? In fact, Molly Hemingway wrote a great book. Were you calling the shots, ultimately? Excuse me. Molly Hemingway, Mm -hmm. who's highly respected and great, she wrote a a book, a a best-selling book called Rigged. Were you calling the shots, though, Mr. President, ultimately? Uh, as to whether or not I believed it was rigged? Oh, sure. I, okay. I, it was my decision. But I listened to some people. Some people said that. Um, like guys like Bill Barr, he was a stiff, but he wasn't there at the time. But he, he didn't do his job because he was afraid. You know what he was afraid of? He was afraid of being impeached. He was petrified to be impeached. And he's, how do you not get impeached? Don't do anything. Now, as you just heard, former President Trump referred to the federal indictments against him as Biden indictments. The indictments have been charged after his rally that he grabbed a Secret Service agent inside the president's limo. Take a listen. I wanted to go down peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol. Secret Service, who I have great respect for, said, sir, it's better if you don't do that. It could be unsafe because they didn't because of riots because, you know, it takes one guy with with bad intentions, okay? So I didn't have a dispute with them. You know, you had that one person said, I grabbed the man around the neck. Actually, I wish I was so strong to be able to do that. These are all tough guys, smart guys. Dispute that account. Dispute it? Who wouldn't dispute it? She's the craziest account I've ever heard. You mean that I was in the beast and she said I was in the beast and the Secret Service didn't win. So I took a guy who was like a black belt in karate and grabbed his neck and tried to choke him. What happened? How ridiculous. Just so you understand. This, and I have great respect for Secret Service, by the way. They're fantastic. The Secret Service said, sir, it would be better if you didn't. I said, I'd love to do it. They said it would be better until we went back to the White House. Just so you understand. I spoke. I made a very nice speech. Tell me how you watched this all unfold. Were you in the dining room watching TV? I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell people later at an appropriate time just so you understand however what did you do when the capitol was under attack though let me just tell you in the moment that the capitol did you see the statements i made 
in the Oval Office and just outside of the Oval Office. Absolutely. Go I was home. there that day. Our police are great. We love our police. We love everybody. Go home. That was this a, was that a was beautiful more, that statement. That was at 4 o'clock well, in the afternoon, more than I, I don't know. three but hours they, after the but attacks started. there were tweets started, that were put out before that. I want to know who you called By the way, on that day. Nancy Pelosi. I, I, I don't have. I, why would day. I tell you that? Listen, Nancy don't Pelosi. Talk about that was in charge of security. She turned down 10,000 soldiers. If she didn't turn down the soldiers, you wouldn't have had January 6th. Did you call military or law enforcement? What? Did you call military or law enforcement at the moment the Capitol was under attack? I'm not going to tell you anything. I told, okay. I, let me put it this way. I behaved so well. I did such a good job. Nancy Pelosi turned down 10,000 soldiers. If she didn't do that. But and now Nancy I understand, Pelosi doesn't have the I understand that, that you the police testified against her. Listen to me, Kristen. Listen to me. I understand that the police testified against her, the chief very strongly against mm -hmm. her, Capitol Police, great people. They testified against her and they burned all the evidence. Okay, they burned all the evidence. Mr. They President, destroyed all the evidence about Nancy Pelosi. What do you say to people who wonder why you, you as Commander-in-Chief, you have authorities that Nancy Pelosi doesn't have as Commander-in-Chief. No, no, she has authority over why the Why didn't you send help in that moment, though? Uh, frankly, just so you understand, I assume that she took care of it. She turned down... So when you realized that, that the National Guard wasn't coming? Well, you, didn't, you don't realize anything until quite a while. National Guard not coming. I asked, I asked it to be there three days in advance, and she turned it down. She says that that request was never officially made. Oh, just stop so it. you know. L let, let me just tell you. Let me ask you the about mayor pardons, of D let Mr. Me President. The mayor of D.C. gave us a letter saying that she turns it down. Okay, we have it. Nancy Pelosi also was asked, and she turned it down. The police commissioner. I'm talking of about Capitol the day police, of the Wait a minute. Yeah. Capitol Police said that he wanted it, and Nancy Pelosi wouldn't accept it. She's responsible for January 6th. Mr. President. Nancy Pelosi's responsible. Mr. President, the you're the president, though. You have, to interview you have authorities that no one else has as the commander-in-chief. Do you think you showed leadership on that? Yes, day? absolutely, I did. Okay. Mr. President, if you were reelected, would you pardon yourself? I could have pardoned myself. Do you know what? I was given an option to pardon myself. I could have pardoned myself when I left. People said, would you like to pardon yourself? I had a couple of attorneys that said, you can do it if you want. Uh, I had some people that said it would look bad if you do it, because I think it would look terrible. Um, I said, here's the story. These people are thugs, horrible people, fascists, Marxists, sick people. They've been after me from the day I came down the escalator with Melania. And I did a great job as president. People are acknowledged. Great economy, great jobs, great this, great that. Rebuilt the military, space force, everything. We, I could go on forever. Let me just tell you. I said the last thing I'd ever do is give myself a pardon. I could have given myself a pardon. Don't ask me about what I would do. I could have, the last day, I could have had a pardon done that would have saved me all of these lawyers and all of this, these fake charges, these Biden indictments. They're all Biden indictments, political. They indicted they want to arrest their political opponents. Only third world countries do that, Banana Republic. So, ready? I never said this to anybody. Uh, I was given the option. I could have done a pardon of myself. You know what I said? I have no interest in even thinking about it. I never even wanted to think about it. And I could have done it. And all of these questions you're asking me about the fake charges, you wouldn't be asking me because it's a very powerful, it's a very powerful thing for a president. Um, I was told by some people 
that these are sick lunatics that I'm dealing with. Give yourself a pardon. Your life will be a lot easier. I said, I would never give myself a pardon. Even if you were reelected in this moment? Well, I think it's very unlikely. What, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. Do you think that our security, the United States security, is linked to Ukraine's security? I think that Europe has to do more. We're in for $200 billion. They're in for $25 billion. And it affects them more than it affects us. It certainly affects them much more than it affects us. So you do think that it's linked well, I think in Europe has taken advantage of a stupid president. You've probably... Look, look, Biden should say to them, you have to equalize. You have to catch up. You know, Europe is about the same size as our economy if you add them all up, add the countries up. It's about the same size. And Biden should say to them, like I did with NATO, you know, NATO, they all owed money. I said, get your money in. And we had over $430 billion put in almost immediately. And the head of NATO, Stoltenberg, Secretary General, nice guy, he said to me, most amazing thing I've ever done. And he said it publicly, too. Let me ask you about your strategy, though, because you have said you want to end this war in 24 yeah. hours. You saw the meeting between Kim Jong-un and President Putin. Right. Do you think that complicates your strategy if you were reelected to try no. to end this Look, war in 24 It would have been hours? easier if the war didn't start and you'd have hundreds of thousands of people living, most importantly. But it would have been a lot easier if it didn't. But I can get it done and I can get it done quickly. Some people hear you say you're going to end the war in 24 hours yeah. and they worry that means President Putin is going to get to keep no, the no, territory no, no. he's unlawfully I'd make a fair claimed. deal for everybody. Nope. I'd make Doesn't mean that? Wouldn't that's be a win for Putin? You know, that's something that could have been negotiated because there were certain parts, Crimea and other parts of the country that a lot of people expected could happen. You could have made a deal. So they could have made a deal where there's less ter territory right now than Russia's already taken, mm -hmm. to be honest. And you could have made a deal where nobody was killed. They had a deal. They would have had a Ukraine country. Now nobody even knows if Ukraine is going to be totally taken over. I will say this. Something's going on and it's not good for Ukraine. I want to ask you about something President Putin said about you this week. I don't know if you've seen it. This was very recent. President Putin said, quote, we surely hear that Mr. Trump says he will resolve all burning issues within several days, including the Ukrainian crisis. We cannot help but feel happy about it. What do well, you make of I that? Do you welcome well, this I like that he said that because that means what I'm saying is right. I would get him into a room, I'd get Zelensky into a room, then I'd bring them together and I'd have a deal worked out. I would get a deal worked out. It would have been a lot easier before it started. Essentially for four years, I kept them from doing anything. Because you know what, I will tell you this, I've never said this, Ukraine was the apple of his eye. I said, don't ever do it, don't ever do it. He would have never done it. But again, oil prices, he wouldn't have done it because of me, but oil prices. The prices were so high that he had so much money, so he had all this money to prosecute the war. The one who drove up the prices was Biden. Given that President Putin has bombed maternity wards, 20,000 kids kidnapped from Ukraine by Russia, mass graves, yeah. do you welcome his support, his all but endorsement? Look, I had a very good relationship with him. And yet nobody was tougher on Russia than me. I stopped Nord Stream 2. You never heard of Nord Stream mm -hmm. 2. That was the pipeline until I got involved. I said Nord Stream 2, people that were sophisticated military people and political people never heard of Nord Stream 2. I had it ended. The pipeline was dead. Biden came in and he approved it. 
There was nobody tougher than me with Russia, and yet I got along with Putin. Let me tell you, I got along with him really well. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. He's got 1,700 nuclear missiles, and so do we. But look, that's a good thing. Getting along is okay, but I got along through strength. And the war would have never happened. The war would have never happened. Now what's happened, it's so bad. The oil price is so high, it's hard to get it stopped. The oil price is so high. When he goes above 50 and $60 a barrel, he makes a lot of money on the war. Now, it's a humanitarian thing. It's a lot of different reasons. But I will get that war stopped very, very quickly. I want to talk about another region that you talked about. Let's talk about another region you talked about, China. If you were to cut a deal between President Putin and President Zelensky, do you run the risk of emboldening China to invade Taiwan? No. Not at all, because China, he's another one I got along to until we had the China virus come in. Once COVID came in, okay, once it was like, you know, I made a great trade deal with China, one of the greatest deals ever made for the farmers and for the manufacturers, $50 billion a year is a great deal. I don't even talk about it because once COVID came in, it was like, I don't want to talk about anything. I was a much different person. What happened to this world, not our country, the whole world, what happened with COVID and just shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. What happened, what China did to the world was so bad. But I had a great relationship Would with... Would you send I had a great relationship with President Xi. Really great relationship. And he was going to stop fentanyl from coming in. He was going to do a lot of... De- he was going to criminalize it if you made it. You know, in China, they have a death penalty for drug deals. He was going to make that with fentanyl dealers, too. But then the election uh, didn't work out, and he never had to do that. I know you've been asked this, but very quickly, if China were to invade Taiwan, have you made a determination? Again, since voters are about to go to the polls, would you send the U.S. military into Taiwan if... President Xi were to invade. President Biden says he would. I won't say. I won't say. uh, Because if I said I'm giving away, you know, only stupid people are going to give that. I heard the other day De Sanctimonious said something about he was going to do this or he was going to do that. I say, well, why is he saying the strategy? You can't say that. So when you ask me that question, I would never say that because you give away all your options. But you don't take it off the table. I don't take anything off the table. No. Wow. So that is that was a powerful interview and very antagonistic as well. Um, uh, if you look at the very all right, so we have this uh, other clip I wanted to entertain. It says Trump promises to enact the largest deportation in American history. Now he was given a speech in Washington D.C. A lot, lots been going on in the Trump world. He gave it also an interview with Megyn Kelly. Let's take a listen to this. Every open border policy of the Biden administration and commence the largest deportation operation in American history. We have no choice. This is not sustainable. You don't have to know very much to know. Uh, I looked at Tucson, Arizona today. Did you see that? Thousands and thousands of people all over. Nobody, people walk out of their house. They say, what's happened to our beautiful place? But this is in many towns and cities all over. Look at New York City. But, you know, you see New York, but you don't see other places so much. And it's happening like that. Much worse, actually. Much worse. This is not sustainable. No country can sustain it or financially can sustain it. Nobody could possibly sustain something like this. And they're putting young children into schools who don't speak any English. And they're in school. Nobody 
is there to teach them. They're sitting in class. They don't understand anything that's going on in the school. It's a horrible situation, and it would have never happened in a year. We had the strongest border in history. Now we have the worst border in the history of the world. There's never been a third world country that had a border like this, ever. There's never been anything like it. We built nearly 500 miles of border wall. You know, they like to say we built 57 miles. No, we built o over 500. In fact, uh, if you look at the various government statistics, we did a great job. And I had to fight Paul Ryan. I call him Paul Rhino. But I had to fight Paul Rhino, and I had to fight uh, Mitch McConnell, another beauty. And I ended up taking the money out of the military. I said, it's an invasion. I'm sorry. And we built 500 miles of wall, which is what it is. It's an invasion. And then was ready to do another. We had already the wall built, and we were going to add another 200. We, I wanted to do five. We did five. I was going to add another 200. We built it. It was all said. All we had to do was erect it. Very simple. Could have been done in three to four weeks. And uh, then we had the election situation, and they took over. And... They actually took it away and put it in faraway places. And Texas wanted to buy it and put it up, and they wouldn't sell it to them. And Arizona wanted to buy it and put it up, and they wouldn't sell it to them. But we got Mexico to give us 28,000 soldiers free of charge. That was an amazing thing. I went to the State Department. I said, Mexico has to do this. They have to do this. And they said, they'll never do it, sir. I said, yes, they will, 100%. And we had a little negotiation with Mexico, and I said to him, listen, if you don't do it, they said, no, we're not going to do it under any circumstances. And I happen to like the president of Mexico, even though he's a socialist, but you can't have everything, right? <laughs> I like him. He's a good man, but he's a little different than my way of thinking. And I said, no, you're going to do it. And I met with their top representative, and he sort of laughed at me when I said, you're going to give us 28,000 soldiers free of charge. And... Uh, he said, no, we're not going to do that. I said, here's a story. I have in front of me a piece of paper, and the paper says very strongly that on Monday morning at 7 o'clock, you're going to be charged 25% tariffs on all of the cars that you're sending into the United States. You know, they took 32% of our automobile business prior to us getting there. 32%. They send millions of cars in. They said, we're going to tax you 25%, and 25% on every other product you sell into the United States. And he said, sir, do you mind if I make a phone call? <laughs> It'll just take a minute. And he came back five minutes later, and he said, sir, we'd be honored to let you have 28. <laughs> That's some rich stuff. Here's something Megyn Kelly said that was kind of interesting. Um, this is related to her interview, and she was being interviewed about her interview with President Trump. And it was with concern to whether or not Trump feels the gravity of some of these indictments. One of them is this obstruction charge. Uh, let's take a listen to this. was kind of an interesting response. Surprised me a little bit. Mm, I'm concerned he's not getting it. I, I'm concerned he's not getting it at all. I mean, there is a very decent chance he is going to go to jail. He shouldn't. But there, you know, look, given the juries he's facing and the judges he's facing and the charges on the one thing I really zeroed in on, uh, he, he's very likely to be convicted of obstruction. I mean, I, that's the one I think he's most vulnerable on. Uh, I don't think he totally... But do you do jail time on something appreciates like that? what they're about to do to him. He needs to win. You know, he needs to win so that he can pardon himself. Or okay. pull Here's what she's missing, though. She just said obstruction, get a conviction, but there's always this thing called appeal, and you don't go to jail while waiting for an appeal. 
pull the DOJ off of those two federal cases. And if he doesn't win, he needs another Republican to win. Um, So I do think he should spend more time reflecting on it. Maybe he just doesn't operate that way because it's better to compartmentalize without thinking like that. But I'll say this. I thought the lowest point of the interview for him was the discussion on the obstruction charge. And he wiggled and not particularly well. And that that's his freedom right there. That's his freedom. He needs a better answer. Or if I were advising him, I'd say, stop talking about it at all. Just stop. Just say it's BS, political persecution. This is election interference. And that's all I'm going to say, because I'm not going to hand these vicious prosecutors any more evidence. Well, that's true. He, he has to be careful about what he's saying. All right, we're going to try to squeeze this one in. We might have to roll it over till tomorrow. But uh, as a matter of fact, yeah, I don't think. Well, this is an interesting Candace on. I think we are going to play this tomorrow, but we'll play a little bit of it right now. Um, She basically says F Ukraine, but she doesn't use the curse word. So when I was watching uh, the Republican debates and they're sitting here trying to make me cry for people in in Ukraine. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Have you looked around America yet? Do you really think that this is what the people at home are going to respond to perpetually telling them that they have to care about another nation more than their own backyards, that they should be caring more about what's happening in Ukraine and Chris Christie trying to pitch it and, you know, Pence trying to pitch it and Nikki Haley, you know, we need to be the police officers of the world and we can't even police her. We can do both. No, we obviously can't. Like, have you walked down the streets of Los Angeles? Have you walked down New York? We clearly, obviously can't do both, right? And so having, I think, that the courage to stand on something that doesn't feel establishment popular or mainstream media popular, but that you understand is what people are actually feeling. And, you know, I'm very much a person that from the very beginning has said, F Ukraine, you know, I stand on that. And I I would have said it if I was in the debate stage. Like, I would have let them all do their little pitch and the cries and tears. Because... Now, she gets into a, a, a better, uh, an interesting debate, their discussion here, not a debate. And the discussion is, what about foreign policy? You know, because we don't want to isol- isolationism. You don't want to be accused of isolationism. And and so you can get into that if you say, we're not going to get into China and Taiwan. We're not going to get into anything going on in Iran. We're not going to get into anything anywhere. And at some point... You got to address the issue. You know, you don't want to be an isolationist either. I mean, unilateral deals and America first and country, you know, your country first or our country first is a good way to go for sure. Globalism and multinational uh, trade deals aren't always the best way to go if you're the United States. If you're a lesser than country, then maybe you benefit from our wealth, but it's a redistribution of wealth that we can't afford. Um, on the same token, we should be in a power position to where these deals work for us. And uh, and there's always an economic solution to, to avoid a military conflict. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can to help us advance America First policies to make America great again. Keep this show, Scott Adams Show, commercial free. Used red state over at mypillow.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye, everybody. 